encourage you to turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, as we talk about living in an eternal perspective, living with an eternal perspective. Uh, this whole year we've been talking about and having a kingdom focus, and we're going to have a series here, a short series on heaven, and then we're going to get to expository teaching of First and Second Peter throughout the rest of the year and probably beyond. So that is where we're headed. That's what we've been doing. And uh, I encourage you. I hope that this series on heaven will be a great, great encouragement to you. Uh-oh. series going off on my watch. There you go. Be careful what you say, right? So I encourage you to take your Bible, turn over to Colossians chapter 3, if you would. Verses 1 through 4. It says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. So I start off with why is heaven important to me personally? Well, this week's events in our family once again drive home the importance of thinking about eternity and our eternal home. On Thursday afternoon, my mother-in-law went to be with the Lord. My mother-in-law is Carolyn Truder, and she grew up in the home of a Presbyterian minister traveling from town to town here in the Midwest, predominantly. And I got to say, of all people I've ever met in my life, she's a, the, the greatest servant that I've ever seen in action of anyone I've met. Um, she was so selfless the family would have to literally ask her to sit down and eat her food because she served everyone first and continued to. She would work tirelessly at her job at the bank and after her retirement at home, she would just be tirelessly serving her husband and family. And because of that, my mother-in-law didn't have a lot of friends. She didn't have a big social circle because she chose to spend her time to serve others. So her passing this Thursday, and the loss of Diane's last parent puts death and eternity into perspective for me. And when she breathed her last breath here on planet Earth at 5.06 Thursday night Eastern Daylight Time, and just a moment later, she was breathing heaven's air for the very first time. She was 89 years old, and she battled dementia for five years. It's at these times, times of funerals, celebrations of life, that you and I, we face our mortality. I find many people spend more time planning their vacation than thinking about where they're going to go after this life. Francis Chan, he puts this whole focus in perspective. We're going to watch a video by Francis Chan, and I hope you listen to it very carefully and very intently, because I think this really encapsulates everything we're going to talk about the rest of this year, and it focuses on how we need to have that eternal perspective, that kingdom focus. So turn your attention to the screen and let's watch this video together. What's going on, man? What am I going to look forward to at the end? I'm going to bring an illustration that this is like the first illustration I did. It was 20 years ago, but I can't think of a better way to, to explain it. Um, I actually didn't use a rope back then. I used a, remember, a, remember computer paper when uh, it was all stuck together? 
and that had the holes on the side that you had to peel off. Remember that? I remember getting a, a roll, and some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, which is crazy to me, but because uh, that was the best, you know? And, um, and it never worked right because of the rolling things, but, uh, but I, I, had, I remember being a youth pastor, and I put uh, that computer paper all the way around the room, and, uh, but I'm gonna use a rope now because I can't find that computer paper. Um, imagine this rope, okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever, okay? Just imagination, pretend it goes around the world a few times, it doesn't, it ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that, and you're thinking, oh, man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about, th what about all this stuff? It's, just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can? Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid, because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I, look, I look at the way people live, and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow, and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying. Down here, it's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's just this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line. And I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to, I'm straining because I'm straining forward, I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm gonna pass this thing. I'm gonna live this out and I'm gonna face him. I'm gonna come before the judges and he's gonna hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm gonna get it and I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but you better believe I'm using every muscle, exerting every bit about me because I'm gonna pass that line well. 
perspective on eternity. And so are you and I like Francis Chan, where we look at life and live our lives based on the fact that heaven is a forever place, and that we want to bank our investments as much as possible in heaven as a believer in Christ? If you're not a believer in Christ, what motivates you to live with purpose and preparation, knowing that you've got a day of accountability that's coming one day that's appointed to each and every one of us? And what will you, what will you answer about your life at that time? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, in 1952, he wrote this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So much truth in that quote. So what are you aiming for in life? It's time for a priority check as we come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's time to adjust our lives around the ultimate thing that matters, Jesus Christ, and the home he is preparing for you and I and others in heaven. So take out your notes if you would. And on the front page, you'll see uh, some statements. On the back, we're gonna get to a chart in just a few moments. But why is heaven important in my life and your life today? Well, number one, your understanding of heaven continually reminds you of just how short life is. Just like that great illustration with the rope, how eternity is forever, and we can't even fathom that with our finite minds. There is no end. It will continue on and on perpetually beyond our imagination. But this life is so short. And James 4.13, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring and what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are grass. And then Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Amen. So we think about that this week, early in the week, we heard about an 11-year-old boy who lost his life at a ride at Adventureland. And we hear that on the news and we get so callous because we hear these stories. But do you ever stop and pray for that family? Do you think of the family, an extended family that was affected, will be affected forever, the rest of their life, because they lost that 11-year-old boy? How do we process the death of our loved ones? Each of us do it differently, especially if they're a true believer in Christ and people know it in their life. It gives us great joy that we grieve with hope. Second of all, why do we need to think about heaven and how does it affect us Daily, your understanding of heaven makes you aware of your appointed day of judgment. There's two things that are certain in this life, as you've often heard, taxes and death. No one has avoided death yet except for Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 9.27, and just as is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. And despite what Rob Bell says in his book, Love Wins, and other people who believe in universalism, which believes everybody's going to go to heaven, once we die, there is no second opportunity to receive Christ as Savior. Jesus said in his preaching, now is the day of salvation. 
Jesus said in Matthew 6 that we are not promised tomorrow, so we need to, in one respect, realize that we only have today and live with eternity in mind during this day as we've been given by God's grace. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear, speaking of believers, before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We're not going to be judged for our sins as believers. We're going to be judged for our deeds, our motives, our attitudes, our words. Did we do the things we did for the honor and glory of God the Father, or did we do them for ourselves? Did we do it for ourselves to make ourselves look spiritual in front of other people? Was that our motive? Do we do it to make us look good in the eyes of other people? Would we do these things if no one was looking, but God, that only he would get the glory and no one would even know if I did these things? The unbeliever will be judged strictly on his deeds in the flesh and sent to hell, separated from God, suffering eternal torment. This is the free will choice of all men to choose God or not. In Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Thirdly, your decision as to where you will spend eternity depends on your perspective of heaven. <clears throat> we have, and we're going to unpack this next, the next two times I preach as we talk about heaven, because there's a lot of misconceptions about what heaven will be like. But some people in our world who are not believers, uh, they often say, I want to go and be with my friends in hell. It will be one gigantic party forever. Little do they know that it's a place of weeping and gnashing and of teeth and wailing. And you'll be separated from not only God, but everyone else. And it'll be utter darkness and torment. It won't be a, a place to party. Samuel Clements, who wrote Mark Twain, shared in the speech, the election makes me think of a story of a man who is dying. He only had two minutes or so to live, so he sent for a clergyman, and he asked him, where is the best place to go to, heaven or hell? The man was undecided about it. So the minister told him that each place has its advantage, heaven for climate and hell for society. What a terrible answer. This quote continues to perpetuate the lie that heaven is a static and a boring place. Some people believe that heaven is just going to be one continuous worship service. And I remember a deacon at my first church that I was youth pastor at, and I was telling about this conference that I was going to. And each night, for four nights, they were going to have two preachers every night of the week. And he thought, why would you go to that? You know, continuous worship. Well, some people think that if heaven's going to be a place of just continuous worship, they don't want to go there. Some think that we will sit on clouds with white robes and play harps all the time. Not true. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. We'll answer these questions and more about what heaven and hell will be like the next time I preach. And then also, your fellowship with the Heavenly Father depends on it. Your fellowship with the Heavenly Father depends on your perspective of heaven. You might want to write these verses down. They're not going to be on the screen. John 17 18 through 23, John 17, 18 through 23. Jesus' high priestly prayer. Let me read that to you. Jesus was praying to his father. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, my disciples. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. 
And then Jesus says to his father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Think about that. The love the Father has for you and I that will be eternal is the same love that he has for Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. That's hard to get our head around, to fathom. They are perfect and we are not, but yet that same love is given to us. And so as we think about heaven, we're going to have this eternal love fest with our Heavenly Father and to be able to see Jesus Christ face to face. As I've said many, many times, your view of your Heavenly Father determines how you live your life and how you treat others that you're in relationship with. Jesus reveals to us how much the Father loved him and he wants us to know that that love that he experiences each day in a relationship with God can be ours as well in unity with the Holy Spirit and the Father. The next one is your priorities and how you live your life today depends on it. As we saw in that video, are you going to live all the way up to uh, do everything you can for retirement so you can enjoy those years after for a long or short period of time? We don't know what we're promised. We don't know what we're going to face. My mother-in-law, after her husband died, began to dive deep into dementia, and we thought for the first time she'd actually be able to do some things for herself, and she never got that opportunity. So you never know what is going to happen next. In Psalm 139.14, the psalmist says to God, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. If you go into life with that mindset that God has created you with a purpose and a plan for your life, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me remind you that God does not make junk. This verse says that you are a wonderful piece of art, a unique piece of art, unlike anyone else on the planet. And that he knew you before you were born and he had a plan for you and he wants you to carry out his kingdom work through the unique piece of art work that you are. That's what that verse talks about. So our priorities, we have a purpose for being. We understand that we are a child of God in Christ Jesus. Your complete grasp of what it means to be made in God's image. You know, unbelievers, they have a little bit of an understanding of that, but we can completely understand it because of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the word. And your decision every day to wake up to live for self or to live for God hinges on how you view eternity and what you think of the long-term purpose and gratification of thinking that way. The next one is your understanding of heaven brings suffering into perspective. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your understanding of heaven brings suffering into perspective. Write these verses down and Read them later, Romans 8, 18 through 23. Romans 8, 18 through 23. Listen as I read those. For I consider, Paul said, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's heaven, that we live with that hope every day. That as the world is getting darker and more difficult and sin is running more rampant, we have the hope of heaven. We look forward to that release from that sinful nature when we get to heaven. Suffering, you know, some ways it's the way to, for God to get our attention. I feel like this summer the whole boatload has been thrown toward our family as I think about, you know, my wife first having knee replacement surgery. My car gets run into with a deer on the side. My iPad screen breaks and on and on it goes. And I'm thinking, God, you know, could we just take a little break from the character opportunities in my life for a while? You know, but God wants to teach us things through those things. But the perspective is, no matter how bad it gets here on earth, we have the hope of heaven. We, have, we know that there's going to be a better place, a place of perfection. And then another one is your reward in heaven depends on it. Your reward in heaven depends on it. First Peter chapter 2, you'll see these verses on the screen. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, that's, those are verses we're going to preach on, but those are verses you can hold on to. As great of a, a studio and a place that Michael Jordan has for all his trophies, guess what? One day those things are going to get tarnished, they're going to rust out, they're going to burn up. But the treasures you are building in heaven will be there for all of eternity. And then the share, your sharing with others about the hope of heaven through the gospel depends on other people's opportunity to receive Christ. Think about it. Somebody took the time to sit down with you, or maybe you watch Billy Graham on TV, or maybe you're in a church service, but somewhere somebody shared the gospel with you, and that's how you were born again, and that's what brings you even here today. Well, guess what? The hope of heaven is the reason we need to be sharing the gospel with other people as well. One of my favorite stories is just a little simple story in John chapter one. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, doesn't show up much in the gospels. But when he does, if you read through and do a little study, he shows up at very important times. This is the first time he shows up in John 140. He says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And then he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. That's what we're uh, told to do in our, our Christian life. And because we have that hope of heaven, why wouldn't we want to help others to avoid hell and to have that same hope of heaven that we have possessed in our hearts and lives as well? Our application as you evaluate your life in light of eternity, how are you perceiving your life here on earth? 
I hope you think a lot about that video that Francis Chan, you could go to YouTube and watch that over and over and over again to remind you from time to time, I do. Every so often I'll think about that and go look at it. But how do you evaluate your life in light of eternity? How are you perceiving your life here on earth? Well, we're gonna look next very quickly at a timeline of what many scholars believe will happen in God's timetable. So you wanna flip your paper over. I'm gonna invite Rory Madiri. He's gonna be a reader for me today. He's going to read scripture. He's going to sit right over there. I originally was going to put up a bunch of props, but because of things that occurred this week with, you know, our family, it just didn't happen. And I had to talk with Jeremy about how it fit with the camera. So we're going to keep it simple today, but Rory's going to be my faithful assistant and he's going to read these scriptures as we go through. So what are the future events coming up that will lead us into eternity? Now, I'll put a disclaimer out there. This chart is a premillennial, pre-tribulational view of the end times, eschatology, we call it, the study of end times. We don't all in this room agree with all aspects of this, and that's fine. The key thing that I take away from the book of Revelation is two words, we win. You know, We don't know all the details, we don't know all the timelines, but we're gonna use this as a something, a foundation to jump off of, and we'll point out some differences very quickly as we go through. So the first thing you see there is the church age at the cross, number one. And you can fill in these blanks in seven, and some of them are going to have to turn it sideways when we get to it. But the first one is the church age. And I won't ask Roy to read Revelation 2.1 through 3.22. That's a pretty long section. But the church began in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. You remember that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 16 that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit uh, came down upon those disciples. In Acts 1, Jesus had ascended to heaven and said, in like manner, I will come back. It's believed he will come back to the Mount of Olives and step foot just where he left earth the first time. So Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, the tongues, they go out and speak the gospel and uh, languages that the people in Jerusalem uh, had knowledge of and they shared the good news of Christ. So the cross is the starting point with which some describe as the economy of time or the dispensation of the church age. It will conclude according to Matthew 24 when the last person comes to faith in Jesus Christ as it says and the whole world will at some point hear the gospel. Second of all in your chart there's the rapture. The rapture. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 through 18. And I'm going to let Rory read those verses for us. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him, those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not proceed in those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words, because this is the next thing on God's timeline, at least that's what, what I believe. We could, we could uh, debate that as well. But 
At the appointed time that only God the Father knows, he will send Jesus down to the clouds of earth and call his bride, which he says is the church, home. The dead who are in Christ will ascend first, and then those who are believers on planet earth will rise up next. Rapture means to literally snatch away in the Greek, and it's not a word you'll see in the Bible, just like Trinity is not in the Bible. But scholars use that word to describe it. It's a snatching away. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, in the twinkling of an eye, that's less than a second, it, it means, literally. Scholars wrestle with when this will occur. Some believe it's before the tribulation. Some believe it's in the middle because they call the second half of the tribulation the great tribulation. And then some believe that at the end of the great tribulation, just before Jesus returns for the second time, the believers will go up. So those are the three predominant different views of that. But we will be taken, no matter what, to an intermediate or temporary heaven, which we'll talk about next time. And we will be with Christ, as that passage says that Rory read, with him forevermore at that point. Number three on your chart there is the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. And I've already read this verse, but I'm going to have Rory read it again. For we must all appear in the, before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay, so we've already talked about this, but to reiterate, this is the judgment at this time for believers only in heaven. This takes place right after the rapture. It's, we're judged again, not on our sin, but on our deeds, our words, and our motives, and the rewards are given out. Number four, so we can get perspective as we talk about heaven next time. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And we talked a little bit about that communion. Do this until we are together again. It tells us in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. Do you have that, Roy? Mm -hmm. Okay, read that. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the, to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. There's going to be a grand day after the judgment seat of Christ. And all we can think about from our uh, earthly perspective is a humongous table where all of us will gather around who are believers in Christ, Old Testament, New Testament, and we'll sit there and we will be united with Christ. And it will be there that he will drink of the cup once again and we will have a big celebration. Remember that Jesus is portrayed as the bridegroom in the New Testament and the church is the bride. Ephesians 5 says that Christ wants the church to be presented to him holy and without blemish. This is the uniting of the church with himself. Number five on your chart is the tribulation. The tribulation. And we don't have time for Roy to read Revelation 6 through 19 unless you want to be here till 2 o'clock, so we're not going to do that. <clears throat> but the predominant major section of Revelation talks about the tribulation. And the appearance and recognition of the Antichrist will occur I believe, if you believe the rapture is before the tribulation starts, right after that event, the world will uh, see this person rise up into government leadership. 
The false prophet who will lead the one world church that will be formed will be revealed. The first three and a half years, the Antichrist will sign a treaty and promise Israel peace and protection. And then uh, most of the serious judgments will take place in the last three and a half years of the tribulation because in the middle, about the three and a half year point, the Antichrist will go back on his treaty and begin to persecute the Jews. And of course, during this time, at least 144,000, if not more, Jews will be saved. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. At this point, the Antichrist will break his promise. And you can read about all the judgments in the book of Revelation, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. We get the length of time, approximately seven years, from the book of Daniel, where he lays that out. And the mark of the beast will occur, uh, 666. And whatever that mark will look like, you will not be able to buy or sell or get food or have a lot of opportunity to, to uh, interact with commerce if you don't have the seal of the Antichrist on your body. And it'll all culminate at the end when in the Valley of Megiddo where the armies from the east and the north and the south will gather for that one final battle wanting to utterly destroy the Jews, God's chosen people. This leads us to the very next event on your chart, number six, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to have Rory read a portion of that, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on his, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and righteousness in his judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and his head in many diamonds. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which it is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, fine white and pure, were following him on a white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword which, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it goes on to say in verses 17 through 21 that the Antichrist and the false prophet will be scooped up and literally cast immediately into the lake of fire. And then the birds of the air will be invited to eat of the dead flesh in the valley of Megiddo. And in one place in the Bible, it says the blood will flow to the height of a horse's bridle. Can you imagine that? It's a gruesome, gruesome sight. Number seven, you have to turn your chart sideways to write this one. It says the judgment of the living nations. The judgment of the living nations. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. But I'm going to have Rory just read a couple of these verses. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory in all his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. So these will be the remaining people on earth who did not support God's chosen people and identify with the Antichrist and the false prophet. And the kingdom of Christ will be ushered in after this judgment. And we'll begin with save people on earth, this new millennial reign we'll talk about in a minute with the saved people who got saved during the tribulation and their physical bodies, but then the glorified saints in the Old and the New Testament 
will come down and uh, rule and reign with Christ, which leads us to number eight, the millennial, the reign of Christ, 1,000 years. That's what millennial means, millennium. Millennium means 1,000 years, the reign of Christ. And uh, it's a 1,000 year reign. Satan will be bound and tormented. People will live here on earth and go about their business, but they will be born into this world with a sinful nature. But those who are in heaven will come down and reign with Christ. And at the end of this thousand year reign, toward the end, Satan will come back and he will round up a group of people to make one final rebellious attempt to overthrow Jesus Christ. But that will be thwarted. That leads us to number nine, the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Read that for us, Rory. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And so the great white throne judgment will be the separation of the believers from the unbelievers, the final separation of them. And then what corresponds with that, number 10, is the lake of fire in Revelation 20, 14 through 15, as he continues on talking about the, the judgment. Read that for us. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's names were not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Think about how somber a moment that will be when the unbelievers will finally be condemned to their eternal torment, separated from God for all of eternity. At the same time, believers will enter into which we'll talk about next, the new heaven, the new earth. We're going to talk about first the intermediate heaven, which is where we go now. But there's going to be that divide, that separation, the final separation. And then number 11, the first circle at the top, you can write the new heaven. And the second circle underneath it, the new earth. The new heaven in the top circle, and then the new earth underneath it. Revelation chapters 21 and 22. But I want to have Rory read 2 Peter 3 as it talks about how God's going to give us a little, just a little glimpse of how he's going to form this new heaven and this new earth. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works are done on it will be exposed. Since all of these things are dust of thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening for the coming of the, the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to this promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which rightness, righteousness dwells. And so the heaven and the earth, we won't be flooded out because of the promise with the rainbow, right? The second time he's going to either just scrape off the surface of the earth or burn it off and reconfigure it in some way, form or fashion. We don't have the details, but that's the new heaven and the new earth. And that's one of the things we will talk about in our third message. Well, let's give Rory a hand. Thank you for him coming up and being willing to do that. Thank you, Rory.
Here's some concluding thoughts very quickly. I hope you take this chart. This is God's timeline. We know very little of the details. We don't know the exact timing of everything. I have no problem if you believe in mid-trib or post-trib and all that. Again, all I think know is that we're gonna win in the end and that's what we can have great hope in. And if you're, the important thing is, do you know you will spend eternity with God in heaven? Do you know Christ is your savior? Are you sure you're going to heaven? With that picture of the great white throne judgment and the final separation, are you ready? Are you hoping that, are you prepared for the fact that you will go with the believers into the new heaven and the new earth to rule and reign with Jesus in his millennial reign? I hope so. And if you need to uh, make sure of that decision, uh, please come talk to me afterward because there's no more important decision in this life in knowing whether you have Christ as your savior and you have the assurance of your salvation. But if you're a believer in Christ, I ask you this week to ask yourself, are you living with eternity in mind with the decisions and choices you make in this life? Choosing to be generous by using your finances and your time for eternal benefits. Many of you do that. But it's always good for us to check and ask God, am I measuring up to what you want me to do in this time with my finances, with my time? Second of all, how are you using your talents and your spiritual gifts that God has given to you? How are you doing in sharing your faith with others so that you can bring others to heaven with you? Your family, your friends, your coworkers. Do the daily decisions you make, are they thought through for the long-term benefit in heaven or for the immediate here and now? Now let me back up and say there's nothing wrong with us enjoying life here. There's nothing wrong with owning a boat and going fishing. There's nothing wrong with having a camper. Nothing wrong with being involved in sports and all those things. But it's a question of does it captivate everything that you do? Is that it? Or do you see that as a steward of what God has given you to use for his glory, for enjoyment, for pleasure? Or maybe even opportunities to use those things for ministry as well. So the key thought here from C.S. Lewis is this. I hope to leave this with you. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Where is your aim today? Let's bow for prayer. Father, as we talk over these next few weeks about the joyous place of heaven, that's beyond our imagination as we think of that song from Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine. Lord, we just pray that you help us to be captivated with the fact that we'll be face to face with Jesus Christ, that we'll see God in his glory and majesty high and lifted up, reigning over everything, that all injustices will be corrected, all wrongs will be righted, wars will be over, sin will be done, and we'll live with the gates open because we don't have to worry about crime anymore and God will be our light. Lord, there's so much we have to look forward to. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us Help us, as Francis Chan taught us in that video, to look at things from the eternal perspective as we make our decisions this week and going forward. And we pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.